Hey gang, Sean Zock here. We are breaking down the final round of the 2009 Masters today. Somehow, none of you people told me how great that Masters was. One of our faithful listeners demanded it, so here we are. But first, I want to remind you that Golf Magazine and Michelob Ultra have partnered to raise money for the COVID-19 relief through our campaigns, hashtag playing through and hashtag ultra indoor open. What can you do to help? Please just share a video or a photo of your best at-home golf activity. You're stuck at home. You're cooped up at home. You're playing some golf in the living room. Let's hear it. Let's see it. Use both those hashtags and golf and Michelob Ultra will each donate a dollar to the United Way COVID Response and Relief Fund for every single post. So these posts are going to add to the charity fund. They're going to help people deeply affected by the coronavirus. That's hashtag playing through and hashtag ultra indoor open both hashtags. Thank you. Here we go. The year is 2009. Today is Sunday, April 12th, and Augusta National is ripe for the taking. Kenny Perry and Angel Cabrera are both vying for their first green jacket, but as this final round broadcast begins, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are out on the course and are going to make this thing a hell of a lot of fun. It's time to dive into the final round of the 2009 Masters. Two thousand nine. Joining me on the show today is Jonathan Wall. He's been on here a bunch, and one man who was there at Augusta National, Alan Shipnuck. Gentlemen, to put you back in time, it's April two thousand nine, which means Barack Obama was just sworn in as the forty fourth president of the United States, and debuting on NBC is Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. So that show has been on for over a decade now. We can dive into the cast of characters soon, but Jay Wall, where were you in in 2009? We know where Shipnuck was. I was I was living in uh, in New York. I was only a couple of years removed from uh, graduating from college, and uh, oh, that's right, you were you were writing stories for Golf Digest. I was, right? I was working for Golf Digest. I was working, working working for the enemy. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were not being sent to majors yet. No, I I was literally the lowest rung on the totem pole at that time. Uh, yeah, it was. I I'm, I might have been the youngest guy on the staff. I definitely know I was the only guy from the South on the staff. Everybody else was Midwest <laughs> or or Northeast. I feel like there was some sort of bias going on. And so Shipnuck was what mid thirties, staff writer or senior writer at SI. Senior writer, bitch. Come on. <laughs> I should know better. The the interesting thing is. In the preceding about 18 months, I'd done big feature stories on, on Hell Cabrera. I went to Cordoba, Argentina. I went to Franklin, Kentucky and broke up with Kenny Perry. And I went to like Lubbock, Texas to hang out with Chad Campbell and his wife, Jeez. who was pursuing a singing career. And so it was not the most glamorous trio of, of <laughs> yeah, you're probably like, what am I doing these stories for? <laughs> well, no, each story was, was, was utterly fascinating in its own way. But I mean, when you fast forward to the, to this masters and those become the three protagonists and you know, most guys in the press room are like, you know, bothered and upset and they had nothing to say. I'm like, I got notebooks full of material. So, you know, it's just the luck of the draw. Steve Flash had made a few more putts. I had nothing on Steve Flash, but it just so <laughs> happens I had, I was, I was stacked on, on the guys who wound up deciding this event. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned the cast of uh, the of protagonists. There are three, but there are many more characters involved. We've got Kenny Perry. So he's 48 years old at the time. He is the 11th ranked player in the world, which is pretty damn good for the 48-year-old Kenny Perry. He's won earlier this year. We've got Angel Cabrera. He's the 69th ranked player in the world. The Duck, El Pato. He's a one-time major winner. We've got Chad Campbell, who has not won a major, but he almost won the 2003 PGA Championship. We've got Jimmy Furyk, the 15th-ranked player in the world. Steve Stricker is the 12th-ranked player. And then, teeing off before all of them, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, number one and number two. They're playing together, and as the broadcast opens... Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods shake hands at the first, playing together for only the second time ever at Augusta. They begin the day seven back. They both birdie the second hole. They're both six back. That is how you open a broadcast. Phil adds a birdie on three, so he's five back. We're going to get to that later. The non-championship must-watch moments. Gentlemen, you got to have some good ones because I have a lot of good ones. My first one at the 1850 mark is you get to see Shingo Katayama for the first time. <laughs> was that was on my list, too. He's on all you... three of our lists. <laughs> John, can you walk us through what he's wearing? I feel like it's very urban cowboy. It's 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 not it's not necessarily as a Texan. It's not necessarily a a cowboy hat. Uh, it's it's got a little bit more flair to it with uh, with the the Japanese flag on the side, and it it looks kind of like a faded kind of a border along the hat. It's it's one of a kind. I, I'm gonna say that that Shingo probably has more than one of those in his collection. You haven't mentioned the necklace? Well, no, it's not a necklace. It's a gold rope. I mean, this dude looks like he just wandered off a soundstage from filming a, a video with like Nas. It's it is it is it is like the greatest, most obnoxious gold chain any golfer's ever worn at Augusta National, and it is so fabulous. Did you guys notice what he was wearing on his feet? Golf shoes from Asics. Asics golf shoes. What? I did now, not know that they made. Now golf they're shoes. a thing. They they make them now. I didn't know they made them then. Yeah. They 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 they're making a comeback. They uh wow. they actually have golf shoes again. Three minutes later, you see Rory Sabatini wearing purple pants, purple and white checkered shirt. I don't know how that got approved. Um, you guys have any any good moments people need to see? Yeah, I mean, I think the the thirteen minute mark. It, it's it's seen more it, throughout the the final round, but you get a glimpse of Tiger's golf bag with the AT T logo plastered on the bottom, and I, I think for kind of considering where we are now, it's it's a reminder of how quickly things changed hmm. for Tiger a year later. I mean, you think about Those what happens at 2020, 2010 Masters, what happens at the end of, of that year. I mean, AT&T drops him as a, as a sponsor after everything that, that happens. It's just, again, kind of more in retrospect, you look at it, Tiger still looks unbeatable at the time. Um, obviously not playing his best golf, but the, the fact that he was not only the, the top guy in the sport, but he was also printing money off of it. I mean, he was he was just endorsements left and right, and and how quickly it just kind of went away. And he looked he looked so much younger. I mean, obviously it's a decade ago, but there's like not a line or crease on his face. You know, you think about all the hard living that's to come, the various scandals and the injuries and the setbacks and the controversies. Like he is the most famous man on the planet. He's the highest paid athlete. He's an absolute God in every way. <laughs> and he looks great too. Like I think, you know, he's, he's, he's a little thinner and a little slimmer, still in great shape, but he just, he just, he looks light on his feet. I mean, it was, 
it was really like going back in time. But one one of the early moments of the telecast that I thought was interesting was when Faraday is out there with uh, with Tiger and Phil, and and he says a lot has been made of uh, their relationship. Essentially, they don't have one. They don't really know each other. Neither did Jack and Arnie at the beginning. You know, they're playing against each other. They said hi in the locker room. That was about it. He just he just kind of puts it out there. You know, now they're Tiger and Phil are playing the matches together, and they're. They're they're on the Ryder Cup task force and they're text buddies and all this and that and uh, it was a reminder how much things evolved between the two of them because it was pretty frosty and obviously they're trying to win the Masters it's not going to be too chummy out there but even so in that there was a snapshot of that where they were as a sporting couple and it, it was it was pretty chilly as they make the turn later on uh, Nance is talking and he's talking about the leaderboard he says 19 year old Rory McIlroy. Just finished uh, a little while back. He shot 31 in the back nine. So we've got Rory in modern golf, and he's not an amateur anymore. But still perfecting the backdoor finish, <laughs> closing 31. <laughs> that sounds right. The two-hour, 10-minute mark, about 40 seconds. We got Dustin Johnson, the one shot you get to see from DJ. He has just made eagle on 13. He follows it by holing out for eagle on 14. What does Dustin Johnson do when he goes eagle, eagle at the Masters? Only the second player to ever do that. He raises raises one hand, just says thank you to the fans. Classic DJ. Yeah, he, you know, he had the angular facial hair. It was just like, you know, he looked very metrosexual. That, that little DJ cameo was sweet for all 10 seconds of it. Let's talk about what Todd Hamilton does on the 12th hole. This is about two hours, 38 to 39 minutes in. He has left his first shot approaching the 12th short into the water. You don't get to see that. What you do get to see is him from the drop zone. He has dropped his ball basically between the tee, the teeing ground and the hole. So Todd Hamilton is in the middle of the 12th hole, which you never want to be in, but he tosses a wedge, pretty full shot wedge, onto the back edge of the green. It jumps off the green and then zips back straight into the hole for a par on 12. The hardest par on 12 you've ever seen. And he runs. I I didn't know I didn't think that there was any running at, at Augusta National. And and here is Todd Why Hamilton. Is he running. I don't he's get tri- it. He's trying to keep they, they mentioned he's trying to keep a pace of play. So Shing, Shingo's on the on the tee and I think he's it, they were just talking about him trying to to keep a pace of play, but it's just funny to see a tour pro running ac- across Hogan's Bridge. Well, I re- I remembered that moment and for, as I'm sure you guys read and reread and studied the greatest masters that never was in, in the, the, the fictional account that me and Bamberger put together, uh, there's a climactic moment where a guy uh, hits it into the Ray's Creek and then holls out his shot and sprints across the bridge in excitement. So that was a little so tip of the cap. I mean, uh, okay. I, it's somewhere in the recesses of my brain, I remembered I remembered uh, Todd Hamilton doing that and just got recycled in that in that account it wasn't Todd Hamilton it was Roy McIlroy he does it in, in a playoff to keep the Masters going but um, that's what that you know. was I love it I, I got I got to go back really fast before we before we keep moving forward past the two-hour mark go back to the 38 minute mark you know Jim Nance when it comes to the Masters I, I don't know if there's anybody who's more polished than him uh, very very rarely do you see him have any sort of snafus during during Ooh. the broadcast but he does say after Phil makes birdie on five, Tiger has to watch a pump fist coming at him. Tiger has to watch a, a pump fist coming at him. It's something he's delivered so many times to others. And I'm not sure if, if 
he really thinks it's called a pump fist. I, I like to think that <laughs> that Nance does, and he actually like throws this out during rounds. But uh, but I did think it was funny that he flipped the words there in a uh, in a big moment on the front nine. That's the British spelling, you know, like that. You just <laughs> to some words, same principle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of the broadcast being unpolished, there is a moment when Tiger is in the fairway on 11 and he is sizing up his approach with Stevie for like three minutes and Ian Baker Finch and Nick Faldo talk over all of it. Like you have the best caddy in the game right now and the best player probably the game has ever seen talking over a shot in the breeze with the hazard to the left downhill and there are cameras picking up it faintly, but we don't get to hear it because Baker Finch and Faldo are talking over it like well, nonsense. Same thing happened on 12T, which is the most important shot of the, the round, as we all know. Yes. And Tiger spent a tremendous amount of time. I mean, it must have been two minutes looking at the treetops. And again, him and Stevie are kind of, you can you can hear the voices, but you can't hear what they're saying. And that was such a missed opportunity as well. I mean, that's such a iconic shot during Sunday at the Masters and to not hear them I, I I didn't register 11 as much as 12 like come on yeah get out of the way yeah um, before we we dive into down the stretch do you guys have any further non-championship moments that people got to see two two hour and 29 minute mark Nance kind of giving a little bit of color on Chad Campbell says he actually belongs to Hogan's old club, Shady Oaks, which I've played before. He practices on the exact sod over on the short course that Hogan used to practice on (laughs) in solitude. Exact sod. I'm not sure about that. It's, it's, it's sacrilegious. I know this for a fact. They let members go out there the same spot where Hogan used to practice before majors underneath a tree. They let him go out there and lay the sod over. It it should, it should be blocked off. It it is truly (laughs) sacrilegious that they let, 15 handicaps hit from the same spot as Ben Hogan. Another, another really funny moment. Well, I, I guess we may get to it, but just it was a, a Faldoism after Cabrera hits basically a cold shank on the eighth fairway. Cabrera, what's he doing? 262 yards uphill. He shanked it. Did he, he shank it? it? Shanked it. Oh my goodness, it's all happening. Good luck, Mr. Cameraman, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just such a funny line and uh you know with, with Faldo I often feel like he forgets there's a microphone he's just mumbling to himself but yes it was it was a great little moment it's definitely part of his brilliance too it's like he, he gets caught up in it he's giddy and, and for you Zach uh three hour and 33 minute mark I spotted a Wisconsin Badgers hat in the background Ooh, during I didn't even Nicholson's <laughs> post-round interview wow Shows how closely I was watching this broadcast. All right, gents. Well, we can move on to what actually happens with this championship. The beginning of it, usually like these masters, either they grab you right away and they hold you to the end or nothing really happens and then it gets serious in the back nine. This is one that grabs you right away. Why? Because I think Phil Mickelson is hitting his irons perhaps the best he has ever played in his life. Shipnick, you will have to validate this if you agree or not, but... Uh, Phil ends up birdieing the second hole, the third hole, the fifth hole, the sixth hole, the seventh hole, and none were better than what he does on seven. He's right of the seventh fairway. This is like 58 minutes in. He's in the second cut. That fairway slopes to the right, so that's how he kind of ended up getting down there. Trees in his way. He has to hook it from that crappy lie. Faldo and Casas had just spent a minute talking about how 
he can get in some real trouble here. This is nearly impossible. Speaking of unbelievable, now Nick, Phil Mickelson, uh, I tell you what, out of here trying to hook it. If he's not careful, he can end up in a real, real spot of bother. If it didn't hook, well, I think play for that middle bunker would be the safe one. He hits it to a foot. This is one of the craziest shots I've ever seen. I did have him. to. I did have to laugh though. Faldo after uh, Phil shot on seven says that could be the shot of his lifetime. Incredible! Oh my goodness! That could be the shot of his lifetime. Uh, on the seventh hole during the final round, which might be a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> of a Masters that he doesn't win. Yeah, and then you've, and you've got Costas, who's trying to like immediately pull the reins back because he says, I definitely, it definitely could be the shot of this year's Masters. <laughs> a little, little bit of a difference there between uh, the two takes. But yeah, you, you can see one who, who's trying to have a more reason and the other one who's just trying to, to get his, uh, his take in there. It was electric. And I mean, I remember out, being out there walking with those two guys because it was just so rare, rare for them to be paired together in a major. It was as loud as I've ever heard it at Augusta National. And this is on the front nine, you know, and Phil was so clearly outplaying Tiger. I mean, Tiger was struggling with the string and the swing. He wasn't hitting fair. Tiger was grinding. He was grinding. I mean, on seven, he would have putted it off the green if his ball had hit the hole. But then he just summons two great shots and Eagles eight. I mean, that was that had nothing to do with golf. That was just pure grit and like F you, Phil. Yeah, um, I'm and, still great. I'm, I'm still Tiger Woods, and there's no way I'm going to get run over by you. Not that easily. And it was, it was just electric. I mean, Phil's par on nine to, to shoot 30 and tie the record. It, the energy was at a fever pitch, you know, by lunchtime, basically. As you were saying, and a lot of times mm -hmm. the front nine is just people are just kind of positioning, and everyone's trying to work their way into the round, and, and you're just waiting for the fireworks. But it, it was... Uh, things were just cascading uh, and it, it was really a phenomenal atmosphere for five straight hours so you guys all just teased a bunch of stuff that i'm just going to remind people of phil mickelson he has stuck it after birding the second hole he stuck it on three he actually hit it pretty good on four that's such a super a great difficult shot. par three great shot. great shot um bad first putt good second putt sticks it on five another brutally tough hole sticks it on six for a birdie sticks it on seven for a birdie makes a good birdie on eight and gets up and down from the bunker and scrambles from the pine straw like john was saying on nine for a par a 30 on the front nine and faldo goes on to say never been a better first nine at augusta i kind of have to agree like i don't think i've ever seen someone hit that many tight irons on, at least especially on the front nine. You don't really get to see front nine in highlights, so that is an underappreciated nine. Um, Tiger, like Shipnuck says, makes eagle on the eighth hole. Tiger had been grinding. He had been making like gritty 10-foot par putts all over the front nine, the first seven holes at least. He goes driver into the fairway, three-wood up over the trees. He swings so hard, and I kind of love when this happens, and it only happens for a couple people that swing their ass off. But when you're playing eight and it's kind of uphill, you swing hard. Naturally, your your tendency is to take a couple steps back. Well, that's exactly what Tiger does. He buries the eagle from 30 feet, like crashing into the back of the jar. And I don't know, man. I mean, it, it's he reaches seven and seven under. Phil reaches 10 under. That is how you get a Sunday broadcast started. And this is like finally getting Tiger and Phil going blow for blow in a major. I mean, this is what we always wanted, but never really got, you know, was, was the two of them going, going head to head like this. Uh, I always wondered what it would have been like if, if they had been a little bit closer to the lead and didn't have to shoot 
65 um, and they would have been doing something like this and maybe giving themselves a bit of distance from the rest of the pack, but it's still electric. It's uh, one, one of the best front nines I've ever seen. That, that, this funny you mentioned that swing on, on eight, Sean, because uh, I was just watching in the living room last night and um, on the TV, the replay, and my daughter walked by and she knows enough about golf. And she's like, what was that? <laughs> because that swing was just so crazy. The tiger recoiled about 15 feet down the fairway. Like it was just, yeah, those little moments were sweet. And even, you know, tigers, he's still wearing those big balloon MC hammer pants. They're flapping in the breeze. And Phil's got, he looks like, you know, Al Capone in his pinstripe pants. And like all the little details made the whole thing so delicious. And you have bones and you have Stevie, I mean, let's face it, um, Joe Lakov is a nice guy, it's Tim Mickelson, <laughs> but the caddies had star power. I mean, it, yeah. Bones, and, this was, Bones and Stevie were more famous than 80% of the tour players back then. Like, it was the, the cult of personality around that pairing was phenomenal. And this had just recently happened where Stevie had kind of trashed Phil in, in favor of Tiger, and so... Like Tiger was receiving, was hearing some grief for comments that his caddy was making. Like, you're totally right. Stevie was a bigger deal than basically everyone that's outside the top twenty. Oh, then Chad Campbell. Like, if Chad Campbell, Steve Williams, and Bones McKay walked around downtown Augusta, <laughs> like, you know, like it was, it was totally, it was just fun watching those guys. You know, Stevie's got his his jumper buttoned down. It's unbuttoned to his belly button, showing how he's got like, you know, it's just all these little details were so delicious. Meanwhile, as Alan also alluded to, no one behind these guys is doing anything of note. And so CBS is really not giving that much airtime. Like they're showing no Jim Furyk shots, no Steve Stricker shots, even though these guys aren't playing bad, they're not playing well. And so they're not getting any airtime. Uh, around the hour and 48 minute mark Costas he comes on and he mentions like there's no energy in these final groups and Faldo says they've got to earn it themselves like the course is being pulled away from them which is totally a figurative thing but it's quite literal on this day 33 for Tiger with a birdie and an eagle and a bunch of gritty pars Um, Phil finally misses a green on 10 but he gets up and down for par the, they, the only time they show Furyk is on the ninth hole where he makes an absolute disaster. He's he short of the green. He chunks it into the bunker. He skulls it over the green, makes double bogey. Like, you know, and of course that you, you go to the Wikipedia page. Oh, Jim Furyk, you know, finished seventh at the Masters. Must have been a good showing. But he was right there with a chance to win and made one of the ugliest double bogeys I've ever seen. And that was all they showed him the whole day. And uh, it was somehow poetic for a guy who had so many uh, – could coulda woulda shoulda in, yeah, in the majors. Yeah, he actually had quite a few like top tens during this period at the Masters. The guy has a much better Masters career than I tend to give him credit for. Yeah, but that was that was revealing. It's like he had a, he had a chance to sneak in there and just completely self immolated. But yeah, let's move on. Back nine, Tiger Phil. So Tiger and Phil on the back nine. Meanwhile, uh, Cabrera has bogeyed a couple on the front nine. Kenny Perry. Has ter- is going to turn in even par with nine straight pars. Tiger and Phil both make par on 10, both make par on 11, move to 12, and like you said, there's this discussion between Bones and Phil on what f- shot Phil needs to hit into 12. Left to right, Pell's nine. And, but that being said, with 52, I, actually, we're going to have to add to that if we're not getting the hell. I agree. So I, I got it. No hurt, just add a little to that. 
Willie hit a full shot. Willie takes something off of it. There's a lot of deliberation, and it's it's weird because he takes this kind of like abbreviated backswing and kind of punches at it, and he. Oh, he didn't, didn't go extra hard at it. I hope it's enough. And he's hooking. Oh, it's in the water. Oh, no. Exactly. He didn't commit to what he. He did not swing out through did it, did he? That was not a full shot. He played a little half punch with a 9-9. It's a dangerous club to ever punch a shot with. He hooks it really hard. It's this odd-looking shot. It lands in the bank, rolls back into the creek. Phil would say later that he likes to hit a draw into this pin because in case he hooks it, it doesn't roll back into the water. It has top spin. I don't know if that totally checks out, but this is a this is like the crushing moment for anyone that was in Phil's corner. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of the biggest screw ups in a career full of screw ups. Like it, it's just <laughs> insanity that he has played the greatest front nine in history. He, he's made a couple of greedy parts. He is in in some ways in control of this tournament. Yeah, and it was. He, it was the One wrong. Back. It was the wrong club and the wrong swing. It was almost like he was between a nine and an eight. Tiger actually hit eight. Phil went with the nine, and there was this whole conversation. You know, bones. You can hear him this time. You could pick up on the microphone. Said, "Yeah, it's got to be. You know, give it a little more. It's like it's, it's a it's a hard nine. And Phil made the swing as if he had the eight iron in his hand. It was kind of a little <laughs> sawed off. Um, it was just everything about it went pear shaped and. The energy just went out of the whole building at that point. It was like, how can you make that mistake? You're a Hall of Famer. You won the Masters twice already. He's going to win it the next year. But like to hit that shot at that moment was just crushing. After after he hit it, the the first thing that I thought was, I wonder what he's going to say about it. Is he going to take the blame for it? Is he going to going to blame the wind? And he totally took the blame for that yeah. for that shot. You know, he just said well, he, duh. he he, he, made, he made the wrong shot. swing. Yeah, but you know, you never know with tour pros yeah. what what they're gonna what they're gonna say. I mean, some guys are 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 more inclined to blame it on, you know, whether it's the caddy or the weather or whatnot. And some some are willing to fall on the sword. And you know, Phil Phil did the latter in that situation. But it wasn't like you know where he 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 hit this towering iron shot that came up just short, and maybe the wind did stand it up, a la if you believe Brooks Kepka last year. But this it was like this low hooking bullet. I mean, the wind didn't even touch it. Was it was so weird. It looked <laughs> he, so He had weird. no excuses. He had no excuses. It is crazy at this point how many people are following this group. Tiger and Phil, ha- through some type of magnet, have pulled everyone to Amen Corner. And this is what Shipnuck alluded to earlier. Meanwhile, Campbell has a has a birdie putt on eight. There are dozens of empty seats in the stands on oh. eight. Hundreds. <laughs> it's incredible how few people are there. He buries the birdie putt. This is a great birdie for him from the fairway bunker, mind you. No one's there to watch. He ties the lead. Like T- Tiger and Phil are still like Phil's one back as he's on the 12th tee, and Tiger I think is two back. But there there is nobody there, and I don't know if if you ever don't if you don't get to go to the Masters and people describe it to you and it's kind of hard to understand how people move about the course this is what you need to see this picture right here there is 20 15 000 people at amen corner i don't know yeah easily and it's the, they're they're all the way up 11 fairway and down 13 fairway and they're not there for the groups before or after tiger phil it's just where the the the, the runoff went to mm-hmm. i mean they, they they couldn't get any closer but i was at the, the, the top row of the bleachers because if you have a working 
mm-hmm. press badge. They reserve that top row, and I sneaked up there, and I'm just looking down on that amphitheater and just the the sea of humanity. And it because of the angle, it looks like the people are right on top of the golfers. Yeah. Like you can't you can't even see the golfers' legs basically, um, and. But I just remember that the feeling in the air when Phil hit it in the water. It was like, oh, man, we thought we were going to witness something special. Mm-hmm. And, but Phil had to fill. And now, um, you <laughs> so know. So he makes just, double. He makes double bogey there. Tiger makes a par. They both move on. Uh, Cabrera and Perry both fail to birdie eight. So doesn't matter really. Like, Phil is still very much in this thing. This is when Freer hits that flop shot into the ninth bunker uh, that he tries to go over it, and people are just kind of freaking out. Now, Phil and Tiger are both going to make birdie on 13, so there's a little bit of a bounce back here. Phil is at 9-under now. Tiger is at 8-under. Kenny Perry is at 11-under. Cabrera is at 10, and Chad Campbell is at 10. So it's pretty tight. Up on 14, Phil, again, somehow ball striking his ass off. 10 feet on 14, but he hard lips the putt. Then on 15... It gets absolutely delightful. Tiger from deep, he sticks his approach pin high right on 15. Phil, very quickly, mind you, follows him and stiffs it to four feet inside Tiger. Shouldn't be too difficult. 187 yards. Oh! And both of those will work. This is the best I've ever seen Phil play, in my opinion. I know, Shipnuck, you've seen him for many more years than I have, but I don't think anyone has hit this many shots close. I mean, strokes gained a million approaching the green. Uh, Tiger plays a little too much break on his putt, but it's a two-putt birdie, so he gets to nine under. He's two back. Phil, from four feet, either pushes it or plays it outside the hole. I don't understand. What is he What is he doing on that putt? It doesn't, even, it doesn't even scare the hole. It's a, it it's a horrible shove. I mean, he shoves it's, it. It is so bad. I you, you watched that. I watched that putt. I, I replayed it about five times, and it's like, what what was he thinking on that putt? It is it is terrible from four feet. Oh, it, it, Faldo calls it the biggest shove of his life. <laughs> it was, oh, it was so bad, and it was like the tortoise and the hare, you know, with Tiger and Phil. Is <laughs> even though Tiger wasn't playing his best, he never made a mistake. Like to that point in the round, he didn't, he hit, he was bogey free. Every Phil was knocking down the flag stick. Like Phil should have won this by three shots. And uh, it was, it was actually causing me physical discomfort watching him like in the middle of the back nine, just give it away. I think when we get back to Augusta, hopefully in November, Phil will do a press conference. I hope I'm in there. I just want to ask him if he's ever felt like he has hit his irons better than that day at Augusta. And if so, where the hell did that happen? Because it was absolutely incredible. And granted, you play that course of, you know, dozens of times like they have in competition and those pins, like you kind of know where to hit those shots to. But it, I've, I've watched a lot of these masters and no one's getting that close. But also his driver, he was pounding at 30 yards past Tiger. I mean, it wasn't just the irons. He was, he was smashing his driver. It was, it was so impressive. So nonetheless, Phil does make his two putt birdie. Uh, so he gets to 10 under. He is one back of Kenny Perry. Tiger's at nine under. Up to 16. Again, they're the only people that are hitting good shots. Everyone else is knocking it to 20 feet at best, two putting for par. No one's hitting it tight except for Tiger and Phil. Tiger on 16 drops it to five feet. Now watch the backspin. 
He has a history at this hole, does he not? Tiger ends up peering his putt. He makes his birdie putt. He steps after it. is one back. I just I just love how Tiger picks up his tee before the ball even comes to rest next to the hole. I mean, this is like early kind of hashtag tour sauce. I mean, Tiger knows it's going to be tight, but it's like he doesn't even care to watch it. He, he knows he's going to be making birdie anyway. I just love that Tiger confidence, even though he's not ball striking it well. He, uh, he still knows when it's good. All right, so around this point, Kenny Perry's on the 11th hole, him and El Pato, the duck. Uh, they're kind of just moving along. I mean, Kenny Perry makes his 11th straight par. He drops his putter because he thought the putt was going in. No one's really doing anything. But I would like to point out that this Sunday final round, at this point, Tiger and Phil are tied one back. Three hours prior, they were seven back. This is as good as it gets. And the broadcast is treating it as these two against Kenny Perry. Like, it's Tiger and Phil because they're out in front and they have very very few holes to finish. It's those two versus Kenny Perry because Angel Cabrera and Chad Campbell have both made a couple bogeys. Kenny Perry, especially when he birdies the 12th hole from just off the green, he gets to 1,200, so he's got a two-shot lead. He is now the favorite, I think. I think he's the favorite. He really felt that moment Kenny Perry's going to win. He's got two par fives. Pato's done nothing. Chad Campbell's lurking, but I mean, come on. Like, it just felt, I, you say Perry's a favorite. I thought it was a done deal. I mean, you figure as long as he is, that big high draw, you know, on 13, like, it felt over at that moment. Mm-hmm. Tiger hits a just a barely poor tee shot on 17, cannot scramble for an up and down. Phil, again, flags it on 17. The guy has another short birdie putt, but he misses it. And this is why I think, what it was, this was written actually in, in Shipnuck's SI game story is that Phil, everything was clicking until the 12th hole, and his irons were still clicking, but the rest of his game began to not click. And his putter, once that shot went into the race creek, his putter left him. He did not make any good putts the rest of the way. Moving up to 18, Tiger and Phil both hit bad tee shots. Phil goes left in the bunker, Tiger goes right into the trees. This is a fun little moment. Tiger is crouching beneath the tree limb and he punches it right into another tree. His ball shoots hard to the right into the 10th fairway, which you only see, uh, I mean, I don't think you see anyone end up there over t- uh, these days. Phil kind of chunks it out of the fairway bunker. He's a he's short of the green. Faldo is beside himself. He hit it fat. What happened? Oh. If he didn't think he could get it there, it was just a- Somehow Tiger lofts it into the air, over the tree, hits it to 12 feet, misses the par putt. He shoots 68. Phil shoots 67. Nance and Faldo say it was like two prized fighters that knocked each other out on the final punch. I'm not sure if that analogy tracks perfectly, but... Kenny Perry, three putts on 13. Cabrera makes birdie. Wait, so, hold on, hold on. We, 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 ha- we have to go back to this because I cannot think of a less satisfying finish. Tiger finishes bogey, bogey. You know, Phil makes all those mistakes coming in. It was just as, as artful as the first 11 holes were and as exciting. And the, it just, like, what happened? These guys completely ran out of gas. And it, it, it could have been one of the most epic Sundays ever and in, in the end it was like a major letdown I, I, I feel felt cheated 
Like, well, I always wonder when both when, of them went backwards. When there are really late letdowns on seventeen or eighteen, like what one shot did it? Because every every hole you finish is a checkpoint, right? You make a par here, you're like, okay, good, I can breathe again. And you make a birdie, and you're like, all right, we still have momentum. And then you, at some point, you make a bogey, and you can rewind it to a certain shot. Like for Tiger, it was his approach or his tee shot. For Phil, I guess it was that putt on seventeen. That I, those I are the it, undoing. I think it was the putt on 15 for Phil. He has four footer yeah, for Eagle to tie the lead at the Masters, and he hits maybe the worst putt of his entire life. Like, <laughs> I mean, that was an undressing. I mean, when he walked off that green, he felt naked, and um, there'd been some contraction, if you know what I mean. Like, people are laughing and pointing in his mind mm-hmm. because this metaphor has gone too far. But the the point is that was that was epically bad it was horrendous it was literally the worst pressure putt he's ever hit and yeah uh, did not touch the hole no i feel like i feel like phil probably for the rest of his round was just thinking about that miss yeah i I think i think he probably lost the plot because it's like i I can't i can't believe i missed the four footer for eagle on 15 and it just it just seemed like the rest of that round he was just off his game I, I do. I agree that that putt on fifteen. Yeah, is it? I mean, oh, by the way, he also hit it in Race Creek on twelve. It's just like the the emotional whiplash of that back nine with Phil was just severe. Now, mind you, no one behind them really is hitting any good shots. Still, Chad Campbell, he does birdie twelve and he does birdie thirteen, so he gets to eleven under. He's one back, but Kenny Perry three putts the 13th hole so he makes just a par Cabrera makes a birdie there but Phil has posted nine under Tiger has posted eight under and those are just going to be a couple strokes shy of really scaring these dudes Bill McAtee interviews Tiger and he interviews Phil like two minutes apart from each other and this is this is a brilliant moment this is around like three hours and 30 minutes in Tiger is very short with him. The last question from McAtee is, how's your knee? Because remember, Tiger just won the U.S. Open on a screwed up knee and a broken leg. Like, this guy's body is crumbling. And Tiger says, knee's good, no issue at all. He walks away and says, thanks, dude, to Bill McAtee. A couple minutes later, he's interviewing Phil. And Phil is, obviously, you know he's different than Tiger, but he's so much more honest. He's so much more revealing. He mentions that his uh, approach on 12, like what he was thinking, um, how he was influenced by Tiger's putt on 15. And Phil does say, like, I played well enough that I'm not going to leave, but these guys will probably beat me. It was just a way, way, way better interview. And that'll tell you in 2009 just how different Tiger and Phil were. Moving forward, Campbell... Gets a good look for Eagle on 15, but burns the edge, but makes his two putt. So he gets to 12 under. He ties Kenny Perry. Shingo Katayama has been cruising all along. He he has really played well today. He reaches nine under on 16. Perry is on the green, but a mile away on 15. Cabrera goes long and right, but they both get up and down with their bir- for birdies on 15. So Kenny Perry, 13 under. Cabrera, 11. Campbell, 12. And, importantly... Campbell flags it on 16. He hits it to five feet right where Tiger hit it. But you know what? Chad Campbell does not have the mind that Tiger Woods has. And you can see it. Or the the putting stroke. Well, the ability to read that putt. Like Tiger is playing in his 15th Masters. Chad Campbell, he's probably playing in his fifth or sixth Masters. 
but there is a huge difference in the putt that Tiger hits on 16 and the putt that Campbell hits because Tiger pures it in the center and Chad Campbell, I don't even know if it touches the hole. And again, like it's all foreshadowing. It's funny when, when you, you know the outcome and you go back and you watch it and when, when he misses that putt, you're like, okay, you know that, that that's there's scar tissue. The next time he has an, an important five footer, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> like, oh, I think we're going to find out. Like, it's just it's just funny how these things register. And he's 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 friends with Kenny Perry, and they point this out on the broadcast that as he's sizing up this putt, Kenny Perry is watching through the trees on the fifteenth green. Um, so Kenny Perry and Cabrera both make their birdies. They move on to sixteen. Three hours and fifty three minutes in, Kenny Perry hits. And he loves it. Walking after it. Oh, does he? The shot of his life. To a foot. Two shot lead. They're wrapping this thing up. Faldo says he's going to frame that eight iron and plate it in gold. They're kind of acting as if. This thing is over. Kind kind yeah. of acting like. I mean, they're 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 just like setting it up that it's gonna be Kenny Perry's. I, I'm just amazed that even with a couple holes left, they've they've given this to Kenny Perry. They're they're already they're already sizing but, up his green let's, jacket. Let's for a moment talk about the sixteenth hole, because Sean, I know you and I share the belief yes. that the pin placement is a little hokey. It's, Get out of here with this sorry mouthy. But but Perry <laughs> Didn't play the ball way out to the right. Yes. Trickle. I mean, it was it was purity. I mean, he just landed it just short, and it almost went in the hole. I mean, it, it would have been a legit ace, not an asterisk ace. Like <laughs> it would have been the only 16. ace to enter from that side of the hole. <laughs> All exactly. other aces enter from the back side, and I noticed yeah. that too. <laughs> no, I thought of, I thought of you when that happens. Like, okay, that was a legit golf shot. Uh, so yeah, they're. I mean, they're discussing how he's forty eight years old. He's probably going to win the Masters and become the oldest man to win the Masters, one of the oldest to ever win a major. But on how Cabrera drains a 15-footer for birdie on top of him right there, that is a big moment right now, folks. I mean, that's literally literally the first putt we've seen Cabrera make the whole round. <laughs> he's, he, is not, he's, he's, he has not made a putt. To make it at that moment was monumental. Mm-hmm. And it maintains a two-shot differential. So Perry's at 14, Cabrera's at 12, Campbell is finishing up now at 12. Shingo Katayama posts 10 under, 68 for him, impressive stuff. Uh, he's bowing to the crowd. He's, he's, he's a lot of fun, that's the bottom line. Kenny Perry ominously misses the 17th green long and left. From the middle of the fairway, mind you, he had hit a, a tee shot way to the right, clanks off the trees into the middle of the fairway. You think the golf gods are in his favor but then from the back side of that green, he skulls a chip. And uh, apparently he had been sculling chips. It was some issue he had. First of all, I don't know how – I mean, that pin is front right. How does he miss long left? I mean, that's a 30-yard miss and in, into a really bad spot. And, yeah, you know, Perry, one of the all-time great drivers of the golf ball, he had won four tournaments in the preceding, like, 11 months with his new putter. But there was – you know, every golfer has a weakness. And for him, it was around the greens. And – why he just didn't putt it from back there? I mean, he's got the lead. It's a pretty easy play with the putter in your hand. I don't know if it was machismo or what, but if you're battling the the chippy hips, like it's just unbelievable to watch him clank that shot. And actually, even knowing it was coming, 
and, and all of it, I could feel my heart starting to pound watching yeah. the replay because it's just, it's every golfer's worst nightmare, right? Like the one shot you don't want to have to hit. The tight lie, downhill. The tight lie. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's like, it, it's, but it's how golf is. Like I remember Tom Lehman, the 96 uh, US Open, he, um, you know, he comes the last hole, he needs a par to win, it's a bad drive. He has to lay up out of the bunker to like 80 yards. And he said afterward, the worst part of my game is the 80 yard oh, wedge shot but I have and, to play it. and you just have to play it's like that's golf it, it, you, it, the game will find your weaknesses at the worst possible moment I've always remembered that quote of course he makes bogey loses the open and it's kind of the same thing with Kenny Perry he just had to leave himself a little tough little chip off a tight lie and clank runs all the way off the green it's just brutal first bogey for him in 23 holes he, earlier this tournament, he had a, a stretch of 31 holes without a bogey. This guy is playing the best golf of his life. Probably thinks about that chip a lot. But he moves on to there from 18. He has a one-shot lead. He's at 13. Cabrera's at 12. Campbell has signed for 12. So Kenny Perry gets up there. He's got a one-shot lead. And he, he always plays a right-to-left shape. What's down the left side of the 18th fairway at Augusta National? A big motherfucking bunker. Two of them. Like, two of them. Why does he not hit three wood? It, it was just the wrong club. And Fallow called it too at the time. He's like, I don't understand this play. Like, you just, it's, that to me is as hard to watch as the chip on 17. Mm. Because if he puts it in the fairway, he's probably going to win the Masters. And yet, he just, he t- took the wrong club. Yeah, and so it, lead, it leads him to, overhooking his approach into 18 which goes left and no one has ever left i've i've said this on this podcast before he ends up in a spot that very few people ever end up on sunday at the masters which is 15 yards left of the hole so you have to go up over the hill so he has to chip on he's got like 15 feet for his par cabrera mind you he's going three wood into the fairway short of the green chips up makes his par so it's there waiting for kenny perry he has a 15-foot putt to win the Masters. And he doesn't get it to the hole. We got a playoff. Oh, oh, oh. I mean... It, it encapsulates everything that's happened to Kenny Perry over the last couple of holes, the fact that he doesn't get it there. But I, th- I think things are moving so quickly for him. Uh, you know, he, as Shipnuck mentioned, just some, some of the decisions that he makes down the stretch. Um, you know, I, I think there's so many that he wished that he could have back, but, but I think things are moving so quickly. He's not even getting a chance. To well, and let's, let's go back up to when Mark Brooks beats Kenny Perry at Valhalla, the PGA championship, oh boy. you know, this is an iconic moment when Perry finishes early and he goes up into the tower, the CBS tower to do play by play. And, and then he, he winds up, in a playoff and he has to rush to the green. He hasn't hit any putts. He hasn't hit any shots. He's been sitting in a chair for an hour and he's tight and he makes an absolute hash of the playoff hole and he loses. And this has followed him around for now 15 years mm-hmm. that he was the guy who lost a major sitting in the TV tower. <laughs> like he's a nice guy, but some inexplicable stuff is going on in his head. And 
Um, and go back, going back to that third shot on 18, like you've just clanked a chip to make a horrendous bogey. Now you've got one of the hardest <laughs> chips at Augusta National. He's got to go up and over this giant swale. The bunker's in play. The green's running away from him. I mean, this is the stuff of absolute nightmares. <laughs> and uh, I, dude, 15 feet was a victory. I mean, to, he actually hit a, a you yeah. know, he had some spin. He stopped the ball. Like, I thought that was a pretty incredible shot given everything that's led up to it. But, it totally to was. Leave, but to leave the putt short was just just devastating. So we have a three-person playoff, the first three-person playoff in 22 years. Cabrera has a hard fist pump. He's in it. Me- meanwhile, I'm thinking, how the hell did this guy get in a playoff? He's done absolutely nothing today. But they move back to 18th, uh, to the 18th tee. Campbell hits a great drive up the right side of the fairway. Cabrera hits a three-wood into the tree's right. He's in trouble. Pairway hits a driver into the fairway. We get to see them walking ahead of a guy in a green coat. That's competition committee head Mr. Fred Ridley, now the chairman. Uh, And so Cabrera is stymied directly behind a gigantic oak tree. Absolutely screwed, right? He plays this roping hook that... You hear good contact, right? And he's waiting for it and waiting for it. He doesn't know where it's really going to be. And then clank, it hits a tree and it goes left and it goes into the 18th fairway, which I think at the time Cabrera would have thought that that was unlucky, but it was a minor stroke of luck. No, it's a huge stroke of luck. I mean, that's like an entire career's turn on something like that. That ball could have gone left into the fairway or right back into the forest, at which point he's done. He's out. Like when you look back on how entire careers and lives flip on something as un, you can't even guess when the ball hits that tree which direction it's going to go. He winds up winds up in a perfect spot in the fairway. Like it's just incredible. It makes no sense, and it makes all the sense. You know, I know this is how it ends up happening. I'm sure Kenny Perry thinks about that all the time. If that if that ball had hit a quarter of an inch in another direction, it probably goes back towards like ten fairway, and Cabrera's screwed. So. Perry from the middle of the fairway flares his approach short and right, short of the bunker, right of the hole. The guy at this point now has hit three horrible approaches in a row. He's not hitting it pure anymore after puring it kind of all day long. Campbell's a favorite, right? He's in the fairway. The green is oh, yeah, sitting there wide open for him, wide <laughs> open green, and he's it's close. Like a, he's got 150 yards with a backstop and a soft green. Where does I he mean, go? Did, <laughs> It's just, it flares it way right into the bunkers. Just like, this is the thing that kills me is this guy, how many 150 yard eight irons has he hit in his life? <laughs> 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. Yeah. Like, oh, just do it one more time, man. Hit it to 15 feet. You're going to win the masters. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's devastating. To me, this started to make sense though. Because at this point, we've now watched four and a half hours of this Masters, maybe even more than that. We've seen Tiger and Phil, two of the greatest players to ever play this game, go out and show people how you have to play this damn golf course. And now they were just not good enough to enter the playoff. These three Jamokes were good enough to enter the playoff, (laughs) and they are shitting their pants. They have no idea how to play this course and win here, but one of them has to win it. Well, I mean, Cabrera has won the U.S. Open at Oakmont, which is as much as it gets. I mean, um, let's not sell the guy too short. And he, you know, he didn't he didn't make any putts, but he was, uh, of course, he did hit a shank on the eighth hole. So <laughs> let's not let's give him too much credit. But Cabrera, he hits it to ten feet 
So he's going to have a 10-footer for par. Perry gets up and down very easily. Cabrera now, over the putt, pures it. He starts laughing. Another one of those big fist punches. Like He just he wasn't like putting, like he, his elbow was not bent. He was punching the air as a fun little Cabrera fist pump. Perry's in the background clapping. Do you, do you what, what do you think he's feeling on the inside as he's trying to force a smile and he's clapping his hands together? Do you think he just wants to take a <laughs> seven iron to Cabrera at that very moment for, I mean, all, all the, all of the like, ridiculous bounces that Cabrera gets on that hole that, that he's able to get a bounce back into the fairway and get up and down from that spot. Yeah. It, it's just, I mean, Chipnick said it like, what does Kenny Perry think to this day about all those insane breaks? But at that, that point, you know, Cam, Chad Campbell has what, four and a half feet to, to join the playoff also. So it did, Cabrera's putt was big, but you assume that Campbell's going to make it and all three of them are going to go to the, mm. to the next playoff hole. But da-da-da-da. Yeah, I don't know. The way Campbell was playing down the stretch, that, that didn't really surprise me, even if I was watch, even watching it in real time. Yeah, it just, again, one of those putts that just never scares the hole. And then he gets the, he just gets rimmed, I mean, like a little horseshoe there on that one. It's uh, it's pretty much a fitting end to, to Chad Campbell's Masters. Yep, his second second at uh, the Master, or his second career runner-up at a major. And he was one hell of a ball striker. I mean arguably top five on tour when he was, when he was at his, when he was at his peak. I mean, that, that guy was fun does to he watch. think about the putt. What does he think about more having the, the green wide open and missing from 150 yards or the missing the five foot putt? Oh, the approach. Yeah, for sure. Because if he, if he can just give himself a 10 or 15 footer to win the masters, I mean, that that's what, that's all you dream about it. Chad Campbell's missed a bunch of five footers in his life. This was just, this, <laughs> this is just the worst time to do it, but he's a guy who made it, you know, made a very nice life for himself by hitting good iron shots. And I, I agree with John. I think that the iron hurts more than the putt. All right. We move on to 10. We have two players now on Cabrera and Kenny Perry. They both hit into the fairway, but remember Kenny Perry, his last three approaches long and left on 17 hooked left on 18 and again on 18, flared out to the right. So now he overcooks his approach, hooks it to the left of the green. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. No, please. This is exactly what Lynn Matisse did in 2003 Gosh, the in man the playoff with Weir. The, the man has hit the most consistent draws all week. That's a lot of trouble. Cabrera hits it onto the green below the hole. Perry pitches onto 30 feet. Misses his first putt. He's got like five feet left. And it's a very anticlimactic finish. It's so anticlimactic that you get a very muted response from the fans. You get a very muted call from Jim Nance. Cabrera takes the green jacket. You get you get Olay chants in the background, but you could tell that people weren't cheering for on hell. They didn't really want him to win. How many how many packs of darts do you think Cabrera would have gone through if he was if he was able to smoke during the round? I go back to like the 2007 U.S. Open where he was just like a chimney the entire final round. I just I wonder as I was watching him, I'm like, you know, I know he can't smoke at a guest. I I assume you can't smoke on the golf course, but how many packs would he have gone through with with all the drama down the stretch there? I, I think that was maybe the most impressive part that he did it without his cigarettes. No, it's true. It, w- it was a sad end because. As soon as Perry hooked that shot over there, you know he's not going to get up and down. So, you know, Cabrera hit hit a good, you know, probably B-minus approach shot way below the hole. But all he's got to do is two putt and it's over. And so it's the long walk to the green. 
having to watch Kenny Perry hit another bad pitch shot, another bad putt, and it was it was it had just been two hours now of guys messing up, and uh, it was a, a totally fitting end to what started out as so thrilling and then turned into just train wreck. I, you know, it, it it was it was hard to watch because it's also one of those things. You knew that this was the end for Kenny Perry. He's 48 years old. He's never going to have another oh, yeah. chance. The scar tissue from this one, like he's done. And he's a Southern yeah. boy. Definitely the Georgia crowd was rooting for him. Um, he gives a, a very good interview with Bob McAtee. He's probably on the edge of tears, it seems like. He says he's had a blast. He says he lost the tournament, tips his hat to Cabrera. Uh, he's living up to his reputation of the nicest guy on tour. Gives a very good interview. Uh, Angel Cabrera is the first player to win a major with a belly putter, according to Alan Shipnuck's SI game story. He was not pinning it against his chest, though. It was the beginning of the end for the belly putter. Yeah, although it was weird. He just he used it as like a counterbalance thing where he didn't he didn't he didn't anchor it into his. So he his was new belly. age. He, just, he, he liked knew what the, he was the length doing of it. Years ahead. Yeah. We move forward to the Butler cabin interview. There is no low amateur, but there's someone there in the low amateur seat. That is Angel Cabrera's interpreter. It's a big moment for this guy. And I think what's worth noting is that he is wearing an Augusta National button-down and, yes, a, and, an, Augusta, Where can I find and that? an Augusta National tie because you know this guy was not dressed and ready for this moment. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> someone had to get him the, that gear. Um, I don't think there was anything really worthwhile in the Butler cabin interview in the, in like the power rankings of Butler cabin interviews. This may be like one of the worst. It's just, it has no juice whatsoever. Uh, you know, they're asking him questions, the translator, you got the translator, you got Cabrera. It's, it's, it's pretty terrible. Like plus Trevor, Trevor Edelman's giving him a jacket. Yes, that too. (laughs) Not nice guy, but not a superstar. I don't want to overlook the importance of interpreters or like belittle their job but like you have to get it right and when when Cabrera is saying like muy importante and interesante you better say the word important and interesting but he doesn't even delivering the quote appropriately like I understand that it's that's a tough job and I don't like I'm, I'm not jealous of that position but you have to say the words that he's saying. It's like that. It's like Lost in Translation, the movie. You know, it's just that thing where the, the the guy talks for five minutes passionately, and the translator gives you a one sentence recap. But it's too bad because on the golf course, Cabrera has so much brooding yeah. charisma, and it really comes out in 2013. I think people did, still didn't really know him or appreciate him, and and what he did battling Adam Scott when he was. He was just oozing charisma and having fun and playing to the crowd and goofing off with his son. It, it, it I think it, it retroactively allowed us to appreciate Cabrera more. And but I mean, the number of players who have won at Augusta National at Oakmont is very short and very and very glittery. So, I mean, he, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame talent. He's had an unbelievable life and. Uh, he's has the game to win at the Masters. It was a totally deserving and fitting champion. It just the finish was ugly and the feeling of the day was kind of weird. But all right, Shepnock, this is truly you've shined pretty well so far. But this is your time to shine. I reread the game story <laughs> this morning, and there's a couple questions I have. So apparently that night, Angel Cabrera eats nine Tiger Woods cheeseburgers. 
they're I mean, they're basically like sliders. They're not the full. They're not the full send on the cheeseburger, but they're 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 pretty. I mean, probably quarter pound <laughs> each. But so okay. So here's here's the story behind the story. In two thousand and eight, I went down to Cordoba, Argentina, to do a feature on Cabrera, who no one knew anything about, and my translator was a guy named. Uh, Luis Fernando Yosa, who's an SI reporter, great guy, um, really talented reporter in his own right. And we went down to Cordoba and had an absolutely crazy experience. Like, you know, Cabrera grew up basically hand to mouth. He was abandoned by his parents. He was raised by his grandma in this little wooden shack on the edge of a ravine with no running water. And you talk about a long journey to the to Magnolia Lane. Uh, it's it's as unlikely. As, as any the game has ever seen. Um, but Luis and, and Angel had a, a connection. And so on Saturday night, fast forward 2009 Masters, I had a feeling Cabrera was gonna win just looking at that leaderboard. And I called Luis in New York. I said, see if you can catch a plane down to Augusta and help me out Sunday night when Cabrera wins. Uh, and this was in the days when you could just do stuff like that. So he, so, so Luis catches the flight Sunday morning, we somehow get him a credential. We get him on the grounds, Cabrera wins. And so I tell, I tell my guy, I say, listen, take off your credential and just hang out with Cabrera the rest of this night. And if anyone asks you any questions, just answer in Spanish. And so, so what happens <laughs> is, you know, Cabrera's got, three or four of his pals with him um, and they're, they're caddies and they're, there's uh, swing coach, whatever. But so Luis just rolls with Cabrera the whole night. He goes to the champions. He's in Butler cabin. He goes to the champions dinner with the Augusta national membership. He goes to the house party and the whole time he's texting me details and calling me. And it was one of the all time greatest reporting moves ever and you know no one questioned him he was he was just a latin guy hanging out with a bunch a bunch of argentinians and it was like it was it was phenomenal so i um i mean i give myself credit for getting him on the airplane but uh one of my favorite parts from the story is that at some point at that party late into the early morning of monday in augusta their party rages on and they're singing to the tune of happy birthday to Cabrera, they're singing Saco Verde, Saco Verde, Saco Verde to you, meaning green jacket to you. Tragically, we don't get El Pato on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Dwight Howard gets the cover of SI. Oh, God. I knew that that Shipnick would hate that. All right, boys, we can wrap this up with the Roberto DiVicenzo Award for what could have been. There are a couple things here. Uh, obviously, Phil Mickelson hitting into the water on 12, but I think really the shot that hit the tree for Cabrera in the first hole of the playoff, like Shipnick said, if that thing is an inch in the other direction, maybe it goes straight back at him. He's hitting from pine straw again. I think the, the, the tree that deflected the shot is probably the winner of the Roberto DiVicenzo award. Yeah. There's, there's, there's so many things. I mean, if Perry just, just hit, uses his putter behind the 17th green, gets that up and down, you know, goes to 18 with a two stroke lead. Every golf tournament, you can point to a, a few what ifs, but I, I think this is the all timer. So many, so many guys are probably haunted by what happened. Phil Mickelson and Kenny Perry at the top of the list, but uh, Chad Campbell as well. Tiger, I mean, there's a lot of things he could have done differently. It, it was, it was, it was a wild, it was a wild 
masters. The fact that you chose this one, Sean, was initially, I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. But going back and reliving it, it's like, God, what, what a mess. What a beautiful mess it was. What do you think, Jay Wall? I'll go 15 for Phil. I, you know, he was so locked in, even, even with the mess that he made on 12 with that swing, for him to still be in it. And now he's got all the momentum hitting it to four feet for on 15 for Eagle. And he just completely whiffs on the putt. You know, I just, I wonder, you know, Phil, Phil's mind has, you know, a tendency to wander sometimes. And after being locked in, he's just thinking about that putt. You know, I know there's three holes left, but yeah, I, I just kind of a, what if, what if he makes that putt and gets to 11 and, I mean, I think if he makes that putt, he makes the putt on 17, you know? It's like with Phil and the putter, it feels like these things are always linked. So that is good enough for the 2009 Masters. Thanks to both of those guys for calling in. Super, super underrated Masters 2009. Anyway, that is it for season two of this podcast. Don't worry. We're going to keep it going with something. I'm not exactly sure what. If you have an idea, send it on in. You can DM me at Sean underscore Zach. That's S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. We are going to draw something up to keep this thing moving. I've got some ideas. We'll keep you posted. See you soon.